Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. And as always, thank you to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com. And all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com. Big, 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 big day today to close out Country Week. I consider today to be our Urban Cowboy Day, as we are featuring full-length interviews with Johnny Lee and Charlie Daniels, both of whom had cameo roles in the 1980 film that revitalized John Travolta's career and catapulted an entire class of country music artists to superstardom. But first, we will hear from Dolly Parton. I had the privilege to attend a press conference held by Miss Parton to discuss her new album, I Believe in You, her first offering for children. Parton has done a lot for you through, through her Imagination Library, which encourages reading among children. During the press conference, Ms. Parton talked about why this I Believe in You album is so personal for her, her pride in the Imagination Library, and the touching inspirations behind some of the new album's songs. Have a listen to the best of this press conference. I think country music is so big anymore. It's worldwide. Used to, back in the old days, it was you know, considered just corny or S-kicking music. But now, as you well know, it's become really a very important thing. And I just think, kind of uh, based on what I was saying about the coat of many colors, I think there's a simplicity about it. The people are kind of, they kind of like something that's not so complicated, easier to understand, easy to listen to. And it's, it's, it's ordinary stories about ordinary people. And I'm sure in that particular show, it'll be done in an extraordinary way. But people relate to it. I think families relate to it. People, it's day-to-day living. It's stories about real things. I think all children should be able to read. But I actually started the Imagination Library over 20 years ago when my father, I actually did it in honor of my father, who was never able to read or write. And so my dad got to help me with it, and he felt very proud to to you know, for me to be doing that and to involve him in it. And he got to live long enough to see it doing well. And so he got such a kick out of people calling me the book lady. But I just think it's important because if you can learn to read, you know, you can educate yourself about any subject. You don't have to have money if you can't afford to go to school. There's a book on anything you want to know. But it's not going to do you any good if you can't read. So that was the main thing, inspired by my dad and just knowing how important it is. The biggest part of the songs in this album were inspired by the books that we give away through the Imagination Library. And every time we give uh, out the books, we get a new book, well, I'll write a song kind of based loosely on what the idea of that book is about. I, you know, I don't. Mm-hmm. And the very first one, I believe in you, I use the very first book that we give out is The Little Engine That Could. That's the first mm-hmm. book that we give out through the Imagination Library. So I use that line in that just to, you know, it's like that positive thinking. I believe in you. It's like, just like that little engine, you know, that mm-hmm. we've all read about. So actually, uh, these songs were fun for me because I love children and I have so many little nieces and nephews and I've practically raised five of my younger brothers and sisters and so I'm very close to my family and so I like to write things for them too to have things to enter 
entertain my little nieces and nephews when they come to visit and play with me. And so these were fun songs to write. You'd think that you'd run out of stuff to write about, you know, the same melodies and the same storylines, but there's always a little twist in everything. You know, you can kind of change it around just enough. And since everything is a rhyme to me and I love melodies, I love to sing or whistle or hum, and so I'm just always doing it. So it's easy for me to write. And it just, whatever I'm writing about at the time just seems to have a, because the day is new and fresh, uh, there's always a new and fresh twist of, you know, to some song, even though it's about just ordinary things. You can make it a little special if you're at least a bit creative. When you do see the actual CD of the album, inside there's a picture of two little girls kissing me on the cheek. They're two of my little nieces. And uh, the one on the left is Hannah Dennison. She's my my sister Rachel's daughter. And when she was four years old, she got leukemia. And we almost lost her for years and years. And when uh, she was sick, I wrote Chemo Hero and Brave Little Soldier for her and about her. And at that time, I brought took a bunch of my little nieces and nephews and her friends and took them in the recording studio. And we recorded that and some other children's songs and fun things for her to just have a little tape to listen to while she was recuperating. But I just uh, thought that with children that go through all all of that, sick children, not just necessarily cancer patients, but just ch- sick children in general, like the Brave Little Soldier was about that too, uh, you know, children with other diseases. But the Chemo Hero I thought was a perfect title, and I'm going to try to make something more of that at some point. I'm going to try to maybe we may put that out as a single or certainly find all the chemo heroes with some of the children that have overcome the most and even some of the grown-ups that have suffered you know, that and, and won the battle. I really want to thank Ms. Parton's team for letting us into the virtual press conference. It was just an honor to attend and to listen in real time to what she had to say, and I look forward to more from Dolly in the future. Now, the link to I Believe in You is in the show notes on Talk for Two. Dot com And it is on to our full-length interviews for today. I had a hoot of a time talking with Johnny Lee. Ralph Emery, whom we welcomed earlier, warned me, and this is a direct quote, Johnny will probably lie to you. He was joking, but he was also right. Mr. Lee's sense of hyperbole and humor is just as sharp as his sense for picking the right song. Lee had two numbers in the film Urban Cowboy. One, Cherokee Fiddle, and the other, a song that is considered the movie's theme, Looking for Love. Even three decades later, almost four really, the film and the songs are providing a career for Johnny Lee. The music, he says, has touched all generations, and I quite agree. He also does not hold back about his feeling regarding today's country music, giving acts like Luke Bryan flack for formulaic music, while maintaining it's nothing personal. Above all, Ralph was right. Johnny's personality makes this interview an interview you have to hear, and one you will love. Here now to tell us why nobody saw the success of Urban Cowboy coming, our interview with Johnny Lee. Johnny Lee, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? I'm fine. Just getting some errands done before I go on the road tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Where are you playing tomorrow? Uh, Down in Texas, Arlington, Texas. That's wonderful. Well, actually, speaking of Texas, that leads me to my first uh, question. We all know your work uh, through, of course, Urban Cowboy. I'm curious, how did you become attached with the project, and what was going through your head during filming? 
Well, how I got involved with it, number one, I was singing at Gillies since the doors opened. Mm -hmm. I was a house band leader, you know, and uh, Irving Azoff heard me singing and liked me and heard that had Cherokee fiddle already recorded and uh, asked me if I wanted to be in a movie. What was going through my head was Deborah Winger at the time. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, so, yeah, Cherokee fiddle is one of my all-time favorite country music tunes. Uh, I hate to jump around, but since you brought it up, how did you come to record such a, a wonderful, awesome song? Which one? Are you talking about Cherokee Fiddle? Yes, sir. Well, Michael Martin Murphy did a, a, a concert at Gillies, and uh, the guy that owned Gillies, Sherwood Cry, was too cheap to buy him a hotel room. <laughs> so uh, he stayed at my house. After the show, we're picking guitars, you know, and he said, I'm play you a song that I wrote. And so he played it for me. And I, of course, it wasn't that version. I changed the version up, but uh, I just, uh, he played it for me, and I fell in love with the song. It's amazing. Now, and the other song that you have in the film, in Urban Cowboy, is, uh, of course, Looking for Love. Is that a song that yeah. was chosen? I've never been able to get this straight. Did you have that before the film, or was that chosen for the film during production? I, I found it. Uh, when I found out I was going to sing in the movie, I'd find two other songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found it in the cardboard box uh, in a hotel room when I was listening to songs that had been uh, submitted for the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And there again, I changed the music up, put it to what it is, and recorded it. And, the rest is all history. Yeah, that's really cool. Were you surprised by the success of the movie? I think there was, it was all shot on location. Did you all think at the time that it was going to be the big hit that it was? Well, I was hoping it would be. You know, I, I didn't know. I, I knew we'd put in a lot of hard work and quite a few years of trying to be successful. And I figured either that movie was going to catapult our careers or shoot us down like a rocket, you know? <laughs> so, uh, luckily the, the, it was a giant success. I didn't know, you know, you, you always hope, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, if I, if I had a way of knowing that I'd be up, I'd have a different job than what I do now. Yeah. And making that, making a hell of a lot more money. Get people to pay me to let them know whether or not it's going to be a success. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I graduated a, a film major from college recently. So the whole, it's one of my favorite movies. And so the whole production aspect of it is, uh, is so interesting to me. But I want to back up. I want to go to your association with Mickey Gilly, which you said you were the house band leader. How did you come to meet Mickey Gilly? How did you come to, to start working with him? I went up and uh, he was playing in Pasadena, Texas at a club called Nestle. And I went up to audition for him, but uh, he didn't know that was my intentions. Hmm. Somebody pointed out, it's Mickey Gilly over there. I went up and acted like I knew him from a long time ago. <laughs> told him I was just in town, wanted to stop by and tell him how great I thought he was, you know, what a great player. And so instead of me asking him if I could sit in, him, having the opportunity to say no, he asked me if I wanted to sit in, and I said, not sure what the hell, you know. And uh, I sat in, and I was, people seemed to like me, and, you know, did some good stuff with, he had a great band, 
came back a few more times and uh, make a long story short, he offered me a job. That's After it. I was working with him for about six months, he said, Mickey, you remember that night I met you? He said, yeah. He said, man, I never seen <laughs> He said, hell, I didn't remember you either, but I didn't want to be rude, you know. So <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of bullshitted my way into a job. I love it. You know, it's funny. I actually just an hour ago, I got off the phone with uh, uh, Ralph Emery, who, uh, by the way, says hello. And uh, he said, he said, watch out for Johnny. He's a sly one. He uh, he might. Uh, he was joking, of course. He goes, he might tell you a lie. I'm like, OK, <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's great. That is that is excellent. That's great. And now you perform with him in Branson a couple months out of the year. Is that right? Yeah, we, we started last Friday. We'll work during the fall. We'll work till the end of November. We'll work Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday afternoon. That gives me the rest of the week to go out on the road, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we, Mickey and I are just like brothers, man. You know, we, we've know we've known known each other for a lot of years, and I love him, Dad. He's my dearest friend. Yeah. Do you enjoy sitting down in a place like Branson more, or do you enjoy the road more, doing one-night gigs and, like you said, you're going to Texas? Oh, I enjoy the road. Uh, if I had to go sing in the same place every day, do the same set list, tell the same jokes, I, I wouldn't be happy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, you know, I, I'm just uh, I'm cut out for the road, man. I'm already ruined. <laughs> Uh, do you drive down or do you uh, do you fly? Do you fly when you do your dates? Uh, well, both. I got a bus, you know. Oh, cool. And uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll fly to meet the bus. Sometimes I'll just get on the bus and go. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that you have had a career that has um, spanned this long. You know, the thing about Urban Cowboy and the thing about your type of music is it. I don't want to say it got blamed because I, I don't think blame is is right but it 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 was talked about that that was the start of the kind of the pop influence a real sort of poppy influence into traditional country music but now you listen to it and it sounds as traditional as as anything else compared to what's on the radio now well you know listen to country Mm -hmm. music country music has been changing ever since country music started Mm-hmm. So is rock and roll. So is this crap called rap and all that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, music's been changing since since the very beginning. You know, you learn, and then like guitar players, they they learn like from the last generation. They learn what they can learn from from the people, mm-hmm. and they take it a step further, and then they take it a step further, and you know. It's, same way with recording and writing and all that. You think everything's been written about, but uh, still come up with new songs. You know. Yeah. What do you look for when you're looking for songs to record? What 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 speaks to you when you put the song on, put the demo in, and start listening? Oh, just something that grabs me. You know, some lyric wise. You know, music, you know, lyric wise, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I. I don't ever know what I'm, that's, that's the reason we go looking, you know. Uh, I don't listen to mainstream radio anymore. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 like I met Luke Bryant. Yep. Good kid, but I couldn't yeah. tell you one song that he's recorded. And could care less. Yeah. You know, 
I don't even listen to radio when I get there off the road. I'm already musicked out. Do you and I get my ears and my get away from it for a little bit. Do you think country music is heading in a good direction, a bad direction, or do you not have an opinion about it? Oh, you know, I'm not even qualified really to, to answer that. Oh, but, I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think... Uh, I think some of it's bullshit and some of it's good, mm-hmm. you know, just like just like it's always been. Well, but it, uh, it's it, a, it's more more they're gearing it more towards the teeny boppers now, and I think people our age, I always say they got our music taken away from them without them having a voice in it. I would agree. I, I would agree. But uh, I mean, I don't know. It's look music. Music is music. It's going to it's going to be here for till we're not, and uh, it'll be changing. And whether or not it goes in a good direction, that's that's up to the people that that uh, are buying the music. You know. No. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it as tastes move towards arena rock, so called arena rock country, you know. And I think there's songwriting will always have a place. Good songwriting will always have a place in country music. Oh yeah. Music. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, like I said, I thought everything had already been written about. Then you go hear some new songs, these new writers, boy, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. they're talking about the same stuff, just putting it in a different format. Well, it's a it's a generational thing, I think, whereas your generation sang about, I don't want to overgeneralize, but sang about bars <laughs> and sang about nights out. We're, we're glued to our technology, and I think that informs a lot of what today's writers write yeah. about. Yeah. So... I wanted to ask you, because we just had two deaths in country music, two tragic losses, Don Williams and Troy Gentry. Did you ever get to work yeah. or, or meet with, with either of them? Yeah. Uh, Montgomery Gentry, I've been on the bus and drank a lot of whatever kind of whiskey it was. Or hell, I forgot what kind it was. <laughs> but uh, uh, Don Williams, I had the opportunity of doing quite a few shows with Don. I didn't didn't really know him that well because we never hung out, you know. Mm-hmm. Don hung out with his own group of people, and uh, we liked each other, but, you know, it, it's sad, man. Well, I was looking, but before that, we lost Merle Haggard. We lost George Jones, I, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we, we're, losing, we're losing people all the time. Well, I'm going to start hanging out with I'm going to start finding some younger friends. <laughs> No, uh, yeah. Hey, call Luke Bryan. See what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I would. That asshole probably wouldn't return my call. He, you know, he's, he's a big shot. You know? <laughs> well, you got. It's, it's. It, there's some of the most important names in country music. Yours is among them, and the music is going to live on forever. You know, people think yep. of of George Strait, and you hear he stopped loving her today. You think Don Williams, you hear his music. It's when you do this. I think you become immortal in a in a sense. Well, you know, I couldn't like I said. I like Luke Bryan. I, I don't mean to just keep bringing his name up. I know. I met him. I like him, and uh, I couldn't name one song that he's done. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you you hear "Looking for Love," you hear "Picking Up Strangers," you hear "Cherokee Fiddle," mm-hmm. "Hey Bartender," "Yellow Rose of Texas." You know, it's Johnny Lee. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, just same with Don Williams and all that, you know, so. You know, all of the music today is running the risk of, of sounding the same. I absolutely agree with you on that. Do you have a favorite song that you recorded? Is there one that, that you just you just love and you keep coming back to? Oh, Looking for Love, man. That horse ain't dead yet. No, it's not. There's kids. There's kids that wasn't even born during that movie that love still love that song. No, I get I, up and sing it with me. You know. No, I I love that song. I had, I had a fourteen year old girl, nine year old girl, uh, a sixth grade class in, in elementary school got up on stage. Everybody, them kids know that song. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very blessed. I, I, that's my that's my horse. I'm gonna ride it. How does it make, not to sound like a psychiatrist here, but how does it make you feel uh, when you see those generations loving this song that was recorded decades ago? How does it make you as an artist feel that the music has lasted that long? Uh, how does it make me feel? It, it makes me more secure in my career. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel good that uh, kids especially young kids know my music, you know, mm-hmm. makes, makes me feel good. That is, that's excellent. Well, the last question I want to ask you, I know we said for 15 minutes here, what's your advice to somebody upcoming wants to make a career in country music? What would you say to them? Go to school, get, get an education and do something different. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, my advice is somebody really serious, man, is to start writing. And uh, if you don't know anything about it, learn about it and uh, put your head down and go forward and don't look back. Don't ever quit. If you ever quit, it'll never happen. Never quit. So any regrets in your career? Oh, sure. But I've, you know, but uh, uh, not. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've learned from them. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Johnny Lee, I know you're getting ready to go out on the road. Thank you so much for making time with uh, to be with us today. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you, and thanks for keeping my music alive, man. Uh, of course. Thanks for sticking to the road and sticking to Branson and, and keeping playing. Well, I, I tell people, I say, where are you living now? I say, well, I went to the doctor. I tested positive for Branson. <laughs> I love Branson. I love Branson, man. So I do, too. I got I got some great friends here. The main great. reason I moved back to Branson, I moved away once for a couple of years. But I moved back. Uh, I lost my son. He passed when he was 23, and he's buried here. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason I moved back. That and my friends that I have here. So, uh, you know. That is wonderful. I love Branson. Yeah, I saw I saw what your area code was, and I got excited because my whole love of country music started down there in Branson. But that's a whole, uh, whole other interview that we could do. So thank you so much, yeah. sir. You got it, brother. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. <coughs> Mr. Lee, thank you so very much. It was really, really fun. A link to Johnny Lee's website is in the show notes on talkfor2.com. And speaking of fun, I had the chance to sit down with our next guest, our final guest for Classic Country Week at the St. George Theater on Staten Island. I welcome Charlie Daniels, who also had two songs in Urban Cowboy, though we don't really talk about it, before his late September shows when we sat down in the Big Apple to talk about his new book and more. I put together a more appropriate intro in the moment, so I'm going to throw to our field correspondent, (laughs) me, on location at the St. George. 
Hello again, everyone, and welcome to a very, very special live-to-tape episode of Talk for Two. We are backstage at the St. George Theater on Staten Island, and I'm sitting with one of my favorite artists of all time. I really mean that. Charlie Daniels' career has spanned six decades, with over 20 million albums sold. He is a member of both the Grand Ole Opry and the Country Music Hall of Fame. Daniels' memoir, Never Look at the Empty Seats, which is excellent, will be released on October 24th. It is my honor to welcome back to Talk for Two, Mr. Charlie Daniels. How are you, sir? Thank you, man. I'm fine. Good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Well, I am, uh, what does it mean for you to be back in New York? Well, we had, you know, oddly enough, this is one of the few places in the world I've never played, Staten Island. Never really? Played, never played Staten Island, so we're, we're remedying that tonight. Well, I know you just got here, but you're going to yeah. find out that this is a beautiful theater. I saw pictures of it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. Now. Uh, actually, it's funny, I know that you've been doing meet and greets for quite a while because when I was mm -hmm. eight years old, you played the APCO conference Good behind one of the people and you put your hat on me. <laughs> Gotta show you that. Picture. You could have slept in that hat on yeah, really. <laughs> What does it mean to you to do these meet and greets? And well, it's, it's where you get to see fans, you get to meet with the people who buy your records, buy your concert tickets. It's a uh, I've been do. I've always done meet and greets, just about my whole career. I used to do them after the show, but since I got older, it's easier for me to do them before the show, and I get on the bus and leave when I get out. Yeah, less tired. Any other pre-show rituals? I don't know. It's not really a ritual. I just do it. Something I do. No, I just come in, do my meet and greet, get on stage, pick. That's awesome. Now, well, I want to talk about this book. There's posters all around here. Mm -hmm. I read it cover to cover. I mean, mm -hmm. I couldn't put it down. I had planned to read it throughout the 10 days from when I got it. I finished it in three days. Well, I'm honored. Why now? In the acknowledgments you talk about, it took years to write it. Why now? Why was it ready now? Well, it was ready because I could never find a place to end it until I was uh, inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, and I thought that'd be a great place to end it. So I, I had been writing on it for, gosh, I guess probably 20 years or so, just bits and pieces. And I'd finally kind of made it into a book form and, and went ahead and kind of formalized it, you know, into chapters and that, or at least of subjects and times. And uh, I could never find a place to stop it until they told me I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I thought, what a great place to end it. So I did. That's incredible. I mean, we talked about that last time, that incredible honor. One of the, you talk a lot about the Marshall Tucker Band and mm -hmm. Leonard Skinner. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk about, because you don't really touch on this, I'm curious, how they influenced the CDB music? Well, we were uh, already a band and been playing a good little while when we got into, you know, to, to uh, playing with Marshall Tucker and all. I, I'm sure they, I think we, they probably influenced us in the, in the, you know, we were the same kind of people, we were friends. It was more, I never saw Southern, I never saw Southern rock. I never saw it to be a genre of, of music. It was more a genre of people. Like they were all people like I'd known all my life. I knew that. The financial, the social, the all of the all of the the kind of environment that they grew up in was the same environment I grew up in. So we had an awful lot in common. That's really cool. Another thing you talk about in the book is uh, oh, first of all, before we get to that, the jam session with mm -hmm. Bob Dylan and George Harrison. I knew uh, I would ask you this. You got to make a request on that mm -hmm. jam session. Do you remember what you requested? Uh, one of the one of the songs I requested, "Gates of Eden," which was a kind of an obscure song that Bob did way back a long time ago. Oh, wow. He couldn't remember very much of it. He just played a little bit of it. That's great. And those first overseas trips, you talk a lot. You mm -hmm. dedicate two chapters, if I remember correctly, to uh, the military and to going overseas. Mm -hmm. What what did it teach you about America? Well, I. 
knew a lot about America before everyone overseas. I, I was born before the Second World War started. I was five years old when it started. So I went all through that. My formative years were during the Second World War. And uh, I, I say it on stage every night, only two things protect America, it's the grace of God and the United States military. So, you know, going over to entertain them in a, a place where they were working, where they were fighting, it was a, a big, big honor to me. Mm -hmm. How did it feel when you realized that the helicopter had been hit and was under attack? Well, it was not actually, I don't know if they, the amount of hit it was some small arms probably, but not. I didn't know that's what was happening. I honestly didn't. I thought they were doing, I don't know, every time you get on a helicopter, it seemed like that the pilots would tell you they're going to do some maneuvers on the way back. Yeah. And I don't know if they tell you that, if they have to take evasive action, or I guess they got used to doing it. But uh, I had no, I, I thought it was a maneuver going on. And, uh, you know, I had good Lord looking at me. That's, That's the big thing. A lot of the first part of the book is talking about growing up and you moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Were your parents... Did your parents encourage your interest in music? Yeah, they did encourage it. Uh, my my dad, it was it was uh, it was a sad thing. My dad passed away before I ever had my first hit record. Just a very short, just a few weeks before I had my first hit record. But he w he didn't play an instrument, but he did sing, and he loved music, and he loved me he, he loved me playing music. It was a a big deal to him. I wish he could know all the things that had happened to me since he passed away. Well, you were very fortunate, as was I, to have parents that, that encouraged yeah. you. Because it could have been easy for them to say, no, put it away. <laughs> that's, that's great. Now, I want to talk about something that's been in the news, but you touch on this in the book. And uh, give me a minute here to flesh out the idea, because okay. I don't want to offend you. The idea of Southern pride, of, of mm -hmm. being proud of the South. And I, you talk about uh, a little bit about the, uh, the flack that the South's going to do it again. Uh, got when it came out for, for kind of co-opting the, the rise again. What do we have to do to remove the idea of Southern pride from this idea of, of racism? I don't think we have to do anything because that's not what it is. I know. And you know, here, here's the thing about it. We got a hundred people a day coming to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Most of them are not from the South. They're from up here in this part of the country, all over the country. If it's such a horrible place, why in the hell are all these people from New York and New Jersey and Rhode Island and California, why are they coming? So it's not, you know, that that's a bunch of junk. That's a media thing. Yeah. I mean, they got to have something to write about. They're, having Southern pride is not being prejudiced at all. Mm -hmm. It's being proud of where you're from. You should be proud of where you're from. You're a New Yorker, you ought to be proud of New York. All right, you should be. And I, so I'm from North Carolina, Dean's from Tennessee. Jackie's from Georgia. We're all proud of where we're from. You know, it's like our home. It's 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 uh, as far as we're concerned, it's the best place in the world. But like I say, there's an awful lot of people from an awful lot of places that totally agree with us. We got people moving from from up here in this part of the country and all over the place into into the south, not just Tennessee, but the southern states. I mean, they're they're just flooding in there. So if if it was as bad as you know, if they really thought it was bad and it was prejudice and it was that sort of thing, they wouldn't come. So, you know, I'll answer you that way. No, I appreciate it. I, look, I, I love your opinions on stuff. I've, I've read you. all of your stuff, so I wanted to ask you that. Now, if we can go on a, a quick somber note here, of course, mm -hmm. your good friend Troy Gentry passed away he did. recently. Um, you talk a lot about when you grieve, you write, and you write poems. Did you write anything, if I may ask, for Troy? I did not. I didn't write anything for Troy. Uh, I didn't, uh, nothing just came to me. I mean, a lot of times, See, I, I, some other 
the guys I spent a lot of time around, and, and like Toy and Tommy Caldwell and those guys, Ronnie Van Zant and people that I had spent a lot of time around that I really knew well. Uh, it just kind of came, you know, I sat down and put it together, and I, nothing really came. You know, I mean, I didn't really have a poem that came into my mind about Troy, but I did go to his funeral and we did pay homage to him. Yeah, the second time I saw you uh, was at the Bloomsburg Fair. I doubt you remember because it was mm -hmm. years ago, and they opened for you, so uh -huh. they have always been yeah. tied to you. Yeah. So that's, uh, now I wanted to ask if you consider yourself at heart, uh, this is a really lofty question, but you talk about your love of literature mm -hmm. and your love of poetry, at your heart with all of this uh, cultural stuff at your heart. Do you consider yourself a poet? Oh, uh, well, I write poems, but mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, I I would think I I would tie poems in with people like Shelley and Keats and mm -hmm. people who devoted their life to writing poetry. I didn't do that. I, I can mean poetry to be songwriting. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Then then if songwriting po is poetry, then I'm a poet definitely. Well, it is to it is to me now. Uh, I want to thank you so much. I know we said only about 10, 15 minutes, so you have uh, an excellent meet and greet coming up here and mm -hmm. an excellent show, so I'm really, really looking forward to it. So. How much time you got, Jay, for meet and greet? I don't want to just cut you off. Okay, we'll do about, you can do another 10 if you'd like. Oh, great. Great. So um, this tour, I, I wanted to ask you about your routing because last time we talked was to promote a show up in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. come to Lancaster. And now you're here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that artists will hit the same region within the same same year. What do you look for in venues when you tour? Well, we don't. I don't really have very little, much to do with it. We just take the offers that come through our booking agency, gets the offers, they solicit offers, and they get offers, and they come to them, and then they pass them on to my office. And it's basically a territory type thing. We got, in other words, we don't want to have to be driving a thousand miles a night. We we'd like ideally to have everything that would not be over five, four or five hundred miles between shows. Mm -hmm. So if we're on the West Coast, obviously we couldn't come back to New York and do a show. Or if we're in New York, we can't go to the West Coast and do a show. So it depends on where we are. In other words, if we want to play here, and somebody called in and said we'd offer a Pennsylvania date, a uh, Philadelphia date, or and then somebody said we got a Boston date, and this that, all those dates would fit together. So that's basically what it comes down to is where we are, you know, when, when we go into our area, we work, you know, we try to work out that, work that area out. Did you take the bus here? Did you fly I took the bus. Or? Always take the bus. Excellent. If I can. Sometimes you have to fly, but I always try to take the bus. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's really interesting to me to see you just still performing. Do you, you said at the end of the book that you're just going to keep doing it. Retirement's never, ever crossed your Well, until the Lord calls me home or people get tired of hearing me, whichever it is, whatever comes first. Those days in, I know I'm jumping around, but I'm just I'm just thinking back to the book. Those days in Texas, mm. going across the border to Mexico, uh -huh. and, um, you know, what was the wake-up call for you that that wasn't what you should be doing? I don't really know, other than I just came to my senses one day and said I'm not, I'm treading water. I'm not doing anything. I didn't, I'm not doing anything I set out to do. I'm not getting any further. I'm just parting my life away down here on the Mexican border. Uh, and I'm not making any headway. I'm not ever going to do anything else. So I said, "Enough's enough." So I made arrangements to head back east and get back in the game again. How did you? I forget. How did you end up down there? What took you down? Well, I was in a bad marriage, and I went down there. I just was wandering around, and and uh, we ended up going down there. I ended up getting a Mexican divorced down there, <laughs> and uh, 
I just had a friend. I had a friend there, and I called him up and asked him if he wanted to put a band together. And he said, "Yeah." So that was that was the motivation that got me there. And you talk in the book too about kind of in that time and a little after and a little before finding your own voice mm -hmm. after being in a copy band. Can you take us into that process? Well, I had played in copy bands and played copy music for like 13 years in clubs, and the more you could sound like the record, the better off you were. Mm -hmm. And I had fallen into the habit of interpreting the song the way that I felt that a certain artist would, if it's a Elvis-type song or a, a whatever-type song. And I found myself uh, when I would get through doing my vocals and I would listen back, there would be and not a direct copy by any means, but I could hear the influences of other people on me. Mm -hmm. So when we did Fire on the Mountain, which was our fifth album, I said, I am going to open my mouth and whatever comes out is me. Mm -hmm. So I did. That's the first album I was ever really happy with my vocals on, and I've done that ever since. That's, that's excellent, because I was surprised that you had spent all this time doing these, these copy bands, because a lot of the songs that were really, really famous for you are those, we talked about this the last time, that Talkin' Blues, mm -hmm. Devil Went Down to Georgia, Redneck for Lynn Mayo, which is one of my favorites. Um, was there anything that led you to that decision to go into sort of the talking blues? No, rap? no, I just, it's all, that's something I'd heard all my life. I just had an idea for a song. Mm -hmm. I had an idea for, I think, on Easy Rider was probably the first one I did, and I just had an idea for it. And just. You know, story songs uh, kind of came naturally to me, especially when I first started writing. Because I could, you know, how you come up with what you want to say and how you want to start it and how you want to end it. You just fill the middle and you got a song. So I, I, it was kind of natural for me to write story songs and it was kind of natural for me for, to do spoken word, you know, type stuff. To this day, when you hear, because you were in a copy band, is it is it a sign of, of pride to you or a marker of pride that people are now covering your oh, stuff? Oh gosh, yes. I I am very very pleased anytime I hear anybody doing our music, somebody records one of my songs or something. I'm very happy about it. For my last question, I want to flip the script on you. You've mm -hmm. been asked about Devil so many times, and you mm -hmm. say you'd think that'd be the song that has the interesting story, but it doesn't. Uh -huh. What song has the interesting story? Uh gosh, I don't know. Legend of Willie Swan, I would think did. Uh, it's a real place. Mm -hmm. I had an idea in my mind, I wanted to write a ghost story. I, I was writing story songs and I wanted to do one about a, a ghost story and I tried to find one and I never could. I thought maybe I'd find some old mountain tale or some Indian you know, ghost story or something like legend or something, but I never could. And it popped in my mind, Woolly Swamp, place where I used to hunt when I was a kid. We used to coon hunt there, so we went there at night. And uh, it was just a spooky place and I used a lot of poetic license with it. There are no alligators. Nobody lived there, but it was a kind of a place that, and there's no quicksand, obviously, but it was a kind of place you could imagine something like that happening. So I just filled the characters in, put the old man there, and brought the boys in and went for it. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I normally stop there with my guests and let them have the last word, but I want to say the last word. Okay. Because 12 years ago, when we played that conference at the Opryland Hotel, it was mm -hmm. for 911 communications workers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long they had booked you for, mm -hmm. um, but. They said that when you found out who it was for, you didn't charge them for an extra hour of playing. And I just want to. Well, we don't. We, you know, I, I, made I, I, we 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 uh, we tend to play as long as the traffic will allow. You know, I mean, yeah. whatever traffic will bear. Uh, that was no. We don't even deserve complimenting for that because that's something we just do. You know, it's not. I mean, I'm glad they perceived it as a favor, <laughs> but however long we played was yeah. they were welcome to it. No, I. 
I just, uh, that, that was the story my mom's been telling for years. I said, so I'll thank him for that. But uh, I know that, that EMS and military are, are very important to you in supporting them. So it, it kind of fit anyway yeah. as a story. Yeah. So, well, Charlie Daniels, this was a pleasure. I got some stuff I want to sign and if we can okay. get a picture. Sure, you but got it. Thank you so yeah. much. You're very welcome. And we are back here in the studio. My thanks to Charlie Daniels for not only making the time, but making the time before a show, before a meet and greet. I know that can be really, really, really tight. I have a download link uh, in the show notes on talkfor2.com where you can get Never Look at the Empty Seats, or I should say a purchase link, not a download link. Uh, it is available as an ebook, but uh, I know that a lot of you, like me, like to have the, the hard copy in front of you. As I hope you could tell from our interview, I absolutely, truly, absolutely loved it. While Mr. Daniels has written books before, none were ever as personal or revealing as this one. And my thanks to everyone who appeared on the show this week, either by phone or letting me crash a concert or two. And my thanks to the unsung behind-the-scenes publicists and managers and everybody who worked behind the scenes to get this dork with a microphone into all of those events, set up the times, and it's, it's just been... these are Some of these were interviews that I did a while ago and just never had the opportunity to air, and some of these have been done within the last month or even week or two. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who made this happen. I will always fly the flag for country music artists past and present. It is a genre that is very personal to me, and it is an honor to have had the chance to speak with all of these stars. That's it for us today and this week. Thanks again to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Stay tuned to talkfor2.com, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more from the number one performing arts podcast. Reach out by emailing talkfor2cast at gmail.com and talk about us on social media using hashtag talkfor2. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>